Today is Thursday, December 5th. This is Kirk Kovac here, Politics NC in downtown Raleigh with Gary Pierce. Gary, how are you doing on this cold December day? Doing great, Kirk. My Wolfpack won last night. Well, my Tar Heels did not, but we won't mention it. I didn't it. say that. <laughs> well, you were thinking it. Um, so the biggest thing that happened, I know we were off last week for Thanksgiving and didn't record anything, but all the big news dropped this week, it seems. So the congressional districts that were on hold by the courts pending some further review, I suppose, were approved. So candidate filing opened up for that, our 13 congressional districts. But these new districts are redrawn in a way that does not favor Republicans 10 to 3. Now it's uh, 8 to 5, at least, if the trends continue in those districts. So that means George Holding uh, in Raleigh has an unwinnable district, and I don't think he's going to run again. I think he might have said that, right? I think he said that yesterday. Or very much implied it. It's, it's not really a winnable district for a Republican. And the same is true for Mark Walker's district. So um, any thoughts on the the decision in general and who's filing i know the the two big names in these democratic districts the newly drawn ones are deborah ross in raleigh and then kathy manning who ran last time um out is it the sixth district maybe mm -hmm. so those are sort of i would i would guess the two front runners in those races depending on who jumps in uh any thoughts on those races or just that decision in general you know, I guess it shows how bad the whole gerrymandering thing has been now for a decade because any change you make makes the districts better for Democrats. Yeah. Even though Democrats aren't particularly happy with this redraw, but the Republicans in the legislature had to make it more favorable to, to Democrats. And I'm still struck by the fact that the districts – the districts we'll vote on now are still based on the 2010 census. That's how long the gerrymandering fight has gone on. So, you know, what now? Ten years later, we'll get a little bit of fairness, and that's a good thing for Democrats. I, I think I can't see anybody beating Deborah Ross or Kathy Manning in the primaries, and I think it's going to be tough to beat them in the general. And I think you know Walker took a look. Holding took a look and they say, this is not doable. So at least in Walker, he said, well, I'll go run against another Republican maybe. Apparently he's shopping around to right. target some other Republican incumbent. So as a, as a good Democrat, I think this is a, a very positive development all around. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that is the big question now after it was clear Mark Walker was not interested in running in what is his new district. Um, the options before him are to primary Ted Budd, um, which Ted Budd's new district has a lot of Mark Walker's former district in it, so those people uh, know him. And the other option is to run against Tom Tillis in the Senate uh, to primary him. So there was a primary opponent for Tom Tillis and Garland Tucker, but he there was a bit of an oppo dump on him this past weekend, and they were digging up some things. Um, I know he had invested in some... Uh, businesses and things that might have been a little unsavory, but um, there's only so long you want to run a campaign fueled by your own money, especially if it seems a little quixotic. So do you think that Mark Walker is going to lean one way or another? And I would say the for Ted Budd, Club for Growth, the conservative group is saying they would back him in a mm -hmm. primary m more than a million dollars, which is nothing to shake a stick at in a congressional primary, but 
Club for Growth supported Mark Walker in the past, and I believe, I know we talked about this before, Club for Growth was behind some polling earlier this year when Mark Walker counted out a primary challenge to Tom Tillis. So it looks as much that they're discouraging him from running against Ted Budd and encouraging him to run against Tom Tillis. So what do you think about that potential primary matchup against Tillis and Walker? Interesting. Um, I, I, I would guess that Walker, this is a point in the campaign where you're looking at two numbers. There's all the numbers game, polls and money. Um, poll tell you what kind of a chance you have if you can raise enough money. Um, looks to me like Tucker did decide, yeah, I can't raise much money and there's a limit to how much money I want to spend. I've, I've seen a lot of candidates talk about self-funding. It's a rare candidate who really goes and does it. Uh, maybe Bloomberg is. Yeah. Trump wasn't. Um, Tucker obviously wasn't. So I th- the club for growth would be a big thing for Walker. He would have to get something like that, I would think, to challenge a, a Tillis. But it, it does tell you then that there is a sense that Tillis is weak in a Republican primary, that, that the um, knock on him has been that he's not trustworthy. For the Republicans, he's not strong enough for Trump. Democrats view him as sort of two-faced on the whole thing about Trump. So I think it could be a a hurtful thing um, for Tillis. And again, looking at it as a Democrat, I think it's a good thing when Republicans fight with each other. Well, with the Tucker candidacy, I know it's it's hard enough to raise money um, against an incumbent Mm -hmm. senator, but he also didn't really have a big profile. Nobody really knew him at all except for people that were you know involved and i think he was involved with like national review so he he did some writing and things but he's not a household name in north carolina and hardly in politics but what about mark walker being someone that really does have a big profile and and something i was writing about this yesterday you know tom tillis can kind of play whatever character he has to when he's in that room and that's a a knock against him in a lot of ways because you don't really know what you're going to get on any given day from tom tillis Mark Walker is a conservative in the sense that, that that is today. You know, nobody doubts that he's going to come down on each issue in a certain way every time. And he's been a huge backer of the president. Um, I think they even was it him or Mark Meadows who they talked about potentially being like a chief of staff. Or I something. think it was Meadows. I think right. I get my marks confused. There are too many marks around. But um, anyways, it was interesting because. I believe the president supported Tom Tillis against Garland Tucker. I think he yes, was he a proponent of him. So I would wonder what things look like if somebody who's actually more aligned with Trump, who in a perfect world Trump would prefer to Tillis, gets into the race. Uh, did, does that change the calculus? Can you walk that back if you're the president? I mean, well, sure, I'm sure would. Trump could walk anything back. but in Yeah, and I would sense. imagine that's what Tillis worries about because even when Trump endorsed him, it was a little bit of a distant kind of endorsement. He said something that one of the, when he introduced Trump, when he introduced Tillis at a rally, he said something like, well, you know, he hadn't necessarily been on the right side all along, but he's you come around like now. You didn't like me at first. Yeah, yeah. you know. That, so, and, you know, there's nothing more unpredictable in politics than what Trump will do. So you could easily see a situation where he decides to to turn on a Tillis. I mean, he's turned, Trump's turned on this um, Republican governor in Georgia. Yeah. Because he didn't appoint to the Senate the the person that Trump wanted, so 
I expect that's keeping Tillis awake at night. Well, then another question is probably more mathematics. Do you think Mark Walker has a better chance running against Tom Tillis mano a mano, or if someone like Garland Tucker had stuck around and split up the vote, do you think Mark Walker could do better just 1v1? I think I don't. I hadn't thought about that. Um, I think he would have a better chance one-on-one because obviously what you're going to try to do is – in a Republican primary, is say that Tillis is not strong enough for Trump, and and you don't want to divide that vote up, right? I mean, you know, you talk about Walker having a low profile. He's got a pretty low profile with me. I don't have much of a sense of him. And my what I know about the the last six district race when Kathy Manning was in there is Walker wasn't particularly all that strong. I mean, it was a very strong Republican district. But again, you take it, you make it fair, and he doesn't have a chance. So I, I don't know how strong a candidate he is, certainly outside a Republican primary. Well, I guess the, the other big question, and, and also unknown, is how do in-state Republicans react when you have someone like Mark Meadows? Because I imagine it would be... It's one thing for Garland Tucker that most people don't really have a relationship with, I assume. But Mark Meadows, it, it feels like people would kind of have to start taking sides at that point. And mm-hmm. it doesn't seem – any any scenario where Mark Walker gets in the primary is going to hurt Tillis. Either Tillis loses or he comes into the general really battered up mm-hmm. by conservatives. So that's definitely probably keeping – it's keeping the Tillis people up at night thinking about Mark Walker. They got a lot to worry about there. And, you know, it's, it strikes me as you talk, one of the things that we're going to see now that maps are becoming fairer, Republicans have had it pretty easy for 10 years yeah, um, because they've drawn their districts so favorably, both in the legislature and congressional districts. Sometimes it's hard to make an adjustment to running competitive general election races. Um, it's not true statewide because you've got to be competitive then. But somebody like a Walker is, you know, maybe he can do well in a primary. How well would he do in a general? Um, I think Democrats would probably be pulling for him to win. Yeah, and that does raise a question because I think Tom Tillis, I don't know if things change after you get into office, but, you know, we saw this with Pat McCrory ran as like a country club Charlotte type conservative. Same thing, Tom Tillis was from Charlotte area, I believe, and was Speaker of the House. But, you know, he ran as sort of a, a pro-business. Mm-hmm. Um, More traditional. Yeah, yeah, basically a um, chamber of commerce type. And, again, he switches that depending on when it benefits him. But that makes sense if you're running statewide in North Carolina. I think today's general wisdom about that is you want to be somewhat moderate. That's definitely true for Democrats who want to win statewide. But for Republicans, I mean, this is a state that had Jesse Helms win time after time. Do you think a firebrand type conservative still has a shot? I mean, obviously I have a shot, but is that a, a plus or minus for somebody like Mark Walker if they came out of this well, primary on top? Well, that's so hard to figure because um, the Senate race especially is going to play out against impeachment yeah um that's going to be going on there's going to be a trial going on and and tillis is going to be part of it so you have to imagine tillis is just i mean he's sort of whipsawed here but you know um mark walker assuming he does run he will have voted as a member of the house against impeachment exactly and he'll have a tangible 
item to say, I, Tom Tillis, Tillis hasn't done anything yet. Tillis will have to prove himself in right. what he says and what he does and, and, and how he performs in the trial. He'll be scrambling. Well, will he? I mean, because then he'll be past the, um, presumably, he'll be past the primary and in a general election. And it will be interesting. It's sort of like watching Richard Burr go back and forth on this Ukraine thing. I mean, one day he seems to say there's nothing to it. Then he seems to say there's something to it. Um, I mean, the only thing you can figure is these guys are just so terrified of the Trump people that every now and then they screw up and they say the truth. Accidentally and tell then the they, truth. And then, <laughs> and then they got to walk it back really fast. Well, then that's, that's the whole idea. You know, if I always say if you get into trouble, just tell the truth. It's easier to keep up with the truth than the lie. And um, I mean, that has been a to, to switch topics for a second. Richard Burr has been an enigma in that sense, because I remember last, I think it was a year or two ago, I, I wrote like a letter to the editor at the News Observer about Richard Burr. And I was saying, you know, didn't vote for him, but he seems to be doing an even handed job. This was like the Mueller stuff back in the day. Seems so long ago now. But it seemed like he was doing an even handed job. He and Mark Werner on the uh, Intelligence Committee in the Senate seem, you know, run a tight ship. But then every other week, Richard Burr, it's like an about face. And the weird thing with him is, at least ostensibly, he's not running again. So it's weird that right. he sort of changes direction. It, it really makes me wonder what he's up to because, like we said, you would assume he would just say what he thinks. He doesn't have anything to lose. What's he going to get primaried in a race he's not running in? And the, the Senate Intelligence Committee report that he signed, that his name is on as, a, as, a, as chairman of that committee, is a pretty damning indictment of of Trump administration. I mean, it said there was Russian interference. It said there was no interference by Ukraine. So he, in that sense, he is totally on record. And I am like, I wonder if maybe he's going to take it back and he is going to run. I don't know. Why wouldn't he just, um, I mean, obviously there's a lot of pressure. He probably does feel like Democrats are, are going too fast. Um, but he's these guys are, are whipsawed, it seems to me, both Tillis and Burr, over how to deal with impeachment and Trump. Yeah, and, and I think to some degree it, it all has to come back to partisanship. And, you know, you got to pick sides. And nobody expects Richard Burr to be the Republican to side with the Democrats. Politics is tribal today, and everybody's expected to line up with their tribe, and they generally do. Well— I wonder your thoughts about the gubernatorial election in North Carolina. I know there's been a lot of pomp and circumstance around uh, Dan Forrest, who's going to run, has been lieutenant governor for eight years, and now he wants to take the executive mansion. But there is also an opponent that he has in Holly Grange, who's a North Carolina House representative. Um, do you have any thoughts about what that dynamic might be? Because you would think... Dan Forrest is sort of the apparent person to do. He's been lieutenant governor. He's won statewide twice in a row. He seems like the obvious choice. So I wonder where someone like a Holly Grange sees an opening to run for that. You would think she must have heard from somebody or you should run, you know, maybe friends and family. But does she have a, some constituency in the Republican Party that Dan Forrest wouldn't fill? He seems like kind of a cookie cutter for this role. Well, never Never underestimate the human capacity for rationalization. 
I mean, I, I don't know how she's rationalized herself into it. An incumbent lieutenant governor, he has obviously got the um, the, the religious conservatives, that's you know, the, the private school people, um, the anti-abortion people. He's got them all lined up. And, and Republicans just aren't very kind to female candidates in their primaries. They, a female candidate rarely wins a Republican primary. I, I think it's probably a, a predominantly male electorate would be part of the problem, and as well as being conservative. So I, I don't think that's going to be much of a problem for him. Well, I, I guess we can leave it there. There's There's been a lot to talk about, but the, the speculation around the Senate race, it's kind of hard to read those tea leaves beyond what's out there in current articles. I know one thing for sure, that decision will be made very soon because filing ends before Christmas. So December yeah, we 20th, know, they said we're what, three months from the um, March 3rd primary. Yeah, less than three months. We'll, we'll have a primary. Well, it's going to be a... So they'll be on television January, February, probably. Well, yeah, that was that was Tom Tillis said pulled ads because Garland Tucker left, but I, I believe I read that he had scheduled them again for He'd January. He'd probably be wise to hold on to that time. Yeah, might as well if you're going to need it. Well, uh, we'll leave it there. And Gary, thanks for taking a little time out today. Thank you, Carter.